I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. discovery of children's bodies on Saddleworth Moor left the public wondering who could commit such dreadful crimes and why. One of the biggest ever police search operations in this country. Inside now, detectives are studying a police file, which day by day grows in content. 
and it's collecting evidence which might confirm the killings of young children up on the Pennine Moors about seven or eight miles from here. Saddleworth Moor is quite a, an eerie place at the best of times, but to be up there in the early hours, in the dark, uh, knowing that you know, there, there could be, at that stage, could be children buried out there was quite frightening, really. Ian Brady was a petty criminal who grew up in Glasgow where he's remembered for his cruelty to other children and animals. When his company hired a new typist called Myra Hindley, the couple became lovers and Brady led her into a world of sadism. And she was obviously very, very impressed by him. Um, unfortunately, uh, what Brady actually had in mind was the destruction and torture of children. Uh, and she got swept along with it and the poison infected her. One by one, their bodies were found, all except Keith Bennett. Welcome back to another I Could Murder a Podcast, episode number 11. I'm Tom Norris and I'm joined by Ben Carter. Good to be here, Tom. The penultimate episode of the series and what an episode to be penultimate. Yeah, we picked a very big case for this one. It's been requested by a lot of people in the comments and, and you know, when we did the votes before, this case was mentioned a fair few times. It's our first couple we've ever covered. As always, a massive thank you to uh, all the new followers, all the new subscribers, all the new listeners. We really, really appreciate it. A lot of people telling their friends about us, which we, we, we absolutely love to hear. Um, and, you know, thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate it. Definitely. Ben, I've seen a few comments popping up from people saying, you guys aren't funny. Shut up. Just tell us about the case, which is fine. Everyone can have their own opinion on that. This is the way we deliver our podcast. We like to have a little bit of levity with it just to kind of ease the well you know break up the mood slightly make it a bit more digestible exactly um and you know there's there's at least sixty five thousand other true crime podcasts who just tell you the just tell you the facts and obviously our banter maybe isn't to everyone's taste and that's absolutely fine but you know we make a very big point of not laughing at the subject matter in hand we might poke a little bit fun at the actual the villain of the case oh, but um, you're gonna point at me then and that's very much been the style of our podcast from the very beginning, and it's going to be our style going forward. Yeah, we're coming up to almost, uh, we're almost a one-year-old now, so we're still a baby, we're growing, we really appreciate all the love and all the, the lovely feedback as well, people that have got our back, uh, we appreciate you. And on that note, if, uh, if you've seen all there is to be seen, or listened to all there is to be listened, why not consider hitting us up on our Patreon page. Yes, on, over there now we've got over 20 episodes which you haven't seen. Uh, it's, it works out roughly at a pound per episode. You know, every month there's four new episodes. It's weekly. And when we um, stop this series, we will be carrying on with the Patreon content every week. Also, we do requests over there for, for, for any cases. So if any cases you want us to cover, why not give us a shout over there? Two friendly buskers. We've got our instruments. Just for a pound in the hat. It's not a pound though, is it? So. But it's four pounds, but you get four songs. Cases. I don't want to busk with you anymore. <laughs> so as well as unlocking access to, uh, what, dozens of extra episodes, it also gives you an exclusive little discount to use over in our merch store, um, which, again, we really appreciate anybody that chooses to support us. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and give us a like if you enjoy the content. Give us a comment, let us know what you thought. And if you're listening on Spotify or on iTunes, a little review on there or following us on Spotify does really help us out. So any support there would be very much appreciated. 
So, today's case, The Moors Murders, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. It's um, arguably one of the biggest, well, arguably the biggest case uh, the UK has ever seen. Um, very much in pop culture in terms of the image of, uh, of Myra in particular. As a case, as a very, very young person, I was very, very um, scared by, actually, if I'm honest. Uh, that, that particular picture is haunting. I know I've referenced it before. It still scares me now. Yeah, I think the, uh, the thing about that for me, the Moors murders, you think of just the kind of, even it being in the name, the location of where, you know, the crimes took place and the bodies were, it's such a, a spooky and haunting kind of a look and feel to it. Mm. And as you said, the kind of mugshots would be very synonymous with this case and you do kind of, it immediately strikes an image within your in your head, even with um, film animation for the case, we, you know, we very much wanted to use that location we, we get the kind of things that we associate immediately with the case it's just that kind of mm. setting for me tom this is a real case of uh the the potential dangerous depth some people can fall when they're infatuated by someone and potentially someone that can then manipulate or control another person but it's been argued in in many different uh podcasts and other documentaries that ian was the leader myra was the leader we're going to kind of go through all of that and, and kind of paint both uh, sides of the story there because they do they will later go on to try and uh, and kind of blame one another for their influence on the case but it's a yeah a really interesting story and two very different people yeah and we're going to go into um but it's gonna be slightly different because there is two people we're going to go through the kind of family and childhoods of each ian and myra individually and get to the point where their paths do cross and like Ben said, it's kind of this case is very much a how two people can influence one another's lives and, you know, where they end up. OK, so Myra Hindley was born on the 23rd of July, 1942, and she was essentially raised in a working class area of Manchester called Gorton. So Hindley's parents, Nellie and Bob Hindley, um, raised Myra in a not ideal household to raise a family. It was a very small working class household. Um, they actually had the, her bed was this little single bed in the same room as a parent's double bed. Very small indeed. Uh, Bob was... He's an alcoholic. Um, he would regularly uh, take out his anger on on Myra when she was growing up. So it's a very difficult household for her to grow up in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he was actually away for the first three years of her life because he was uh, uh, fighting in the Second World War where he served as a parachute regiment in the North Africa campaign. In the army, he was known as a very hard man. And um, he, he was, you know, known, people were known not to mess with him. And he very much wanted to kind of give Hindley these attributes as well. So he taught her from a young age how to fight. And one time, even Hindley came back home from school, scratches on her face from a fight she had with a boy there, you know, which actually drew blood. And, um, you know, you, you imagine a father would, you know, comfort their daughter who's in tears, but he ordered her to go back there and to punish the lad. He actually said to her, if you don't go back there, he was going to lever her. Yeah. So Hindley, frightened by that, went, went over to the boy, punched him, knocked him to the floor. And she actually wrote later on in her life, at eight years old, I'd scored my first victory, is how she put it. So she's grown up in a household where violence has very much been rewarded. Um, yeah. But also she, it's something she fears because, you know, her father's taken out her anger on her a lot. And also she's been encouraged to go and act the same way as her dad. So it's, it's very kind of hard household to be growing up in. Yeah. And I mean, Bob would also be physically aggressive to Myra's mother, Nellie. Um, but apparently N Nellie gave as good as she got. So they would be frequently fight, you know, physically breaking into fights in front of uh, their daughters. And actually, when uh, Myra's younger sister, Maureen, was born, uh, Myra was sent to live with her grandmother, who was actually just uh, nearby down down the street. Yeah. So, I mean, I think possibly for Myra, that was actually a bit of a you know, safe haven for her, moving away from that household. Obviously, they still very much were a big part of her life. It, w it wasn't a nice place to be. It wasn't a nice place to grow up. Uh, and another notable event during, uh, I mean, she had a fairly uh, 
standard upbringing outside of that. She was fairly, uh, you know, average at school. However, um, as uh, as Myra went into her teen years, uh, one of her closest friends, who was a 13-year-old local boy named Michael Higgins, um, he actually invited Hindley to go swimming um, with her at the local uh, disused reservoir. Um, Hindley instead at the time opted to go elsewhere with another friend, and she would later learn that Michael uh, drowned that day, and that would be an event that stayed with her for many, many years. She would always blame herself. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Hindley was a very strong swimmer, and she believed that you know if she was there, she would actually be able to do something to prevent his death, so she she blamed herself for not going with him and not looking after him. Um, and, you know, that's her first real experience of, of, of death. Obviously, someone at a very young age, a very like very close friend, like Ben said, it had a long-lasting effect on her. Myra's first job was a junior clerk at a local electrical engineering firm, and she basically did a little bit a little bit of everything in that role. She was making teas, she was running errands, and to speak uh, for how popular she was at this place, her first wage packet she actually lost, and the girls at this firm all grouped together to um, basically put, contribute to you know repackaging her wages. So she was a very popular girl, really well liked in the village. Um, and also then at the age of 17, she got engaged to a man named Ronnie Sinclair. However, she would later call that engagement off because she felt that he was um, essentially essentially not worthy for her. He's yeah, immature, immature and unable to provide the life she wanted, is what she said, which, you know, you just wonder how differently life, her life would have turned out if she did actually go on to marry him. And, and what is the life that she wanted? This mm. kind of thing that sticks with me there. Um, so he was a labourer, kind of a, you know, day-to-day in the factory grafter but uh it wasn't enough for her apparently so following on from her father's influence um she would still keep you know she wanted to be strong she wanted to be able to stick up for herself and look after herself and she would actually do weekly judo lessons i can't really imagine looking at the mugshot you can't really imagine her doing judo just seems very jarring but not many people wanted to practice with her as she was often slow to release her grip mm. which is quite a haunting little line there um so yeah I, I think you know just just from looking at this obviously this is pre-meeting ian She's got a bit of, you know, a bit of a violent streak in her because like you said, the judo, she, she kind of goes over the top a lot of times. She's able to look after herself, you know, she's able to fend for herself. She's quite feisty. Uh, but there's no real, you know, she's not committing any crime. She's yeah, not... No massive warning signs at Exactly, the yeah. Um, raised in an environment where there's lots of physical aggression, but apart from that, she's she's got herself a job. She's popular. Apparently, a lot of local guys um, were, well, the quote from her friend is that all the fellas loved her. Um, she's been engaged as well at one point, but called that off. So, you know, she's um, she's doing all right. So now we'll go on to the childhood of Ian Brady. So Ian Brady was born on the 2nd of January 1938 in Gorbals, which is an area in Glasgow, Scotland. And he was actually named Ian Duncan Stewart when he was born. His mum was called Margaret Peggy Stewart, so she was known as Peggy. And she was a single waitress who worked in a tea room. Uh, Brady never knew who his father was. His, his mum never actually properly identified who he was. He, she said that he was a reporter who worked for the Glasgow newspaper and apparently he died three months after Brady was born. So with that, I actually think with Peggy, she, I think she might have been protecting Brady there a little bit. I mean, if he was a news, you know, newspaper reporter who worked for the local newspaper and you know, he, died, he died three months afterwards, I think he could have quite easily found out who that was or whatever. But yeah. I, I'm not sure if she, she wanted to maybe hide who 
the real father was. Maybe it yeah. was someone who wasn't a, a great character, a great role model yeah. for him. Yeah, and throughout uh, Ian's early early years, Peggy received very little support. She was trying to make uh, ends meet, obviously as a single mother, um, and she really struggled with that. Um, so uh, eventually made the tough decision to give uh, Ian up to Mary and John Sloan, who were a local couple uh, with four children of their own. So Ian would then go on to take their family name and become known as Ian Sloan, though his mother, Peggy, would continue to visit him for much of his child life. Um, so she, wherever possible, uh, she would pop over and see young Ian. Brady would show troubling signs of dysfunctional behaviour. He would throw violent tantrums if he didn't get his own way, which often ended with him smashing his head against a wall. So it's very, he, he apparently in the, in the family dynamic with the Sloans, he wasn't, he didn't join in a lot. He wasn't very sociable with the other children. He kind of kept himself to himself. Um, I think he very much felt, even though he didn't know, because he, he was only he was brought to their care when he was four months, he didn't know that they weren't his family at that time. Uh, he he seemed to be very kind of disconnected with the kind of family dynamic. So multiple sources have also stated that as a as a young boy, Brady would often uh, uh, abuse animals. Um, so there are a couple of different bits here. So first of all, um, it's alleged that he threw a cat off the second story of a house, to, uh, threw it to its death. And the second uh, uh, allegation is that a neighbour called Frank Flanagan um, caught Ian trying to bury a cat alive to see how long it would live for and uh, very quickly revived the cat. There's no way of measuring that, though, is there, really? If you bury the cat, you go, you're not yeah. going to be able to say, oh, it lived 10 minutes because you can't see it. Yeah. That's not the worst thing about it. The experiment is flawed, but the, obviously that's a horrible <laughs> thing for him to be doing. But um, yeah, there was claims of him torturing animals. Apparently Brady did actually deny any of that oh, happening. Right. But I think from, you know, from lots of cases we've covered and, you know, it's a very similar pattern. It's mm. the torture of animals and then that progresses and progresses. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever by the fact, the thought of Ian Brady, um, you know, torturing animals, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Well, he would argue it and he made quite a, an interesting point to argue it. He said... I absolutely didn't abuse animals when I was a kid. I went to the zoo and I punched a guy in the face for abusing an old tiger. I would say that's quite admirable. Um, to Peggy, Peggy would occasionally come to visit Brady whilst he was at the Sloans and he, she would often um, give him lav lavish presents um, and Brady didn't take long to figure out exactly who Peggy Stewart really was and the Sloans were not his biological family. So yeah, I think obviously because Peggy visited him and they had other children at the time, uh, she was very much focused on Ian, so he must have been like, this is Who's a this? bit odd. Yeah. And he managed to clock that actually she was his real biological mother. Um, so at age nine, uh, uh, Ian visits Loch Lomond uh, with his family. Um, went there last year, absolutely beautiful. But he basically discovered he had an affinity for the great outdoors, so was a big uh, fan of the mountains and the, the roaming hillsides and the lakes. Um, and by age 11, Brady had also become, so not quite at the Jimmy Savile tender age, but he became a chain smoker at the age of 11. Um, so he was often found kind of outside the house, lent up, just puffing away. Would it be outside the house? That's the worst place to be doing it if you're a kid trying to get away with it. That's true. He's flawed on the cat burying, he's flawed on the chain smoking. More flaws in the skyscraper. Brady was accepted for Shawlands Academy, a secondary school in Glasgow, which was a school for above average pupils. So he's, even with the fact that he was able to figure out that who his mum really was, he seems to be quite naturally quite clever. Um, Brady's overall manner and actions got worse, though. As a teen, he twice appeared before a juvenile court for breaking into houses and burglary. 
Um, so he seems to be a bit of a tear away. The reason uh, he had, Ian had ended up at juvenile court was because a fellow student had uh, essentially gone to the police to inform them about various activities that Ian and his his group of friends were getting up to. Um, and in retaliation for this, Ian would corner that uh, informant uh, at school as well. He'd corner him in the toilets and and he would rape that that young boy. Uh, for informing the police on him so straight away that's that's your first really apart from the animal abuse of course that's a real big yeah so Brady would leave the academy at 15 and took a job as a tea boy at Harland and Wolf shipyard in Govan pretty sure they made the Titanic did they? yeah uh, not a lot of good things came from there no no um, shortly after he began working as a butcher's messenger boy yeah I'm imagining a super gossipy butcher here just spreading Spreading news around. Oh, that the bacon tastes good. <laughs> well, these sausages, they're very cheap, but very tasty. Um, but I actually searched for what this meant because I was like, what is that? Uh, and I actually asked my mum, and she said that, that there was a thing called a butcher's boy, which I think is probably what it's meant. And it's just a basic young lad who delivered meat orders to customers, usually yeah. on a push bike with a big old basket on the front. Meaty letter. No, just um, like sausages and stuff. We want to say a big thank you to this week's sponsor, Beer 52. We've just received a package from Beer 52, Ben, haven't we, today? Do you want to tell the audience all about it? We received a lovely package of eight craft beers, and we've just cracked a few open, Tom. They are delicious. Essentially, what the guys are doing at Beer 52 is providing you monthly packages that vary on themes. And this month's theme is Yorkshire. And Ben, you're very familiar with Yorkshire, aren't you? Yeah, well, I live there at the moment, but they're also uh, renowned for their high-quality breweries. And the package that we've just opened this morning is full of some outstanding beers, as well as a snack and a magazine. And you get different snacks and magazines and eight beers every single month. I'll put my hands up here and say, usually I'm quite boring with beers. I tend to have the same ones. But it's, it's, it's nice to actually try things that you possibly wouldn't pick off the shelf and you try it and you go, actually, you know what? I'm not as boring as I thought. And then, yeah, Beer 52 kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. But I like it. I like to be pushed a little bit and the great offer they're offering you our audience is if you go to www.beer52.com forward slash icmap all you have to do is cover the postage which is 5.95 and you'll get a free case of eight craft beers yeah an exceptional deal there and if you want to uh, you know extend that membership then you absolutely can because every month you're getting new beers and you're broadening your beer horizons exactly there's 170,000 active members it's the world's largest beer club so it's good to, it's good to feel like you're part of something Ben absolutely. and each month you get a different theme so I'm excited to see what next month's theme is you can pause or cancel at any time or you can get your friends to join as well and have a little uh, beer tasting session get everyone to join the club so go over to www.beer52.com forward slash ICMAP and pay five ninety five postage to get all of this now. I'll drink to that, Ben. Oh, this one's a bit hoppy. Ben, that's a rabbit. <laughs> get out of here. But what are you doing to that rabbit? And let's go back to the case. So Brady did have a sweetheart during his school years, um, Evelyn Grant, but their relationship would quickly dissolve when Brady threatened her with a flick knife. Um, after she visited a dance with another schoolboy. Yeah, so yeah, that's immediately, obviously, Brady, the, he's actually disp- displaying a lot of red flags uh, here. Obviously, he's raped, He's he's got a knife, he's he's no, he's not shy to any kind of violence, violent acts here. That's the interesting thing about him, because that's kind of all, that's all on him. Like, I mean, his mother's, his, his maternal mother has done everything she could. She still visits him. Yes, he hasn't got that father figure, but he's been adopted at the age of four months. Yeah, then the Sloanes are supposed to be supposed to be quite a nice household. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, th- this is like we always like we always kind of delve into it. Is it nurture? Is it nature? And it's, it, he's 
very drawn to certain things which we'll get into which it seems to be and he seems to have a lot of influence on Mara later on but a pattern is beginning to emerge here as, as trouble always seems to follow him um, he was back in court now with nine charges against him just before he turned 17 and he was put on probation on condition that he would live with his mum Peggy so um, Peggy by this stage had moved to Manchester and she'd married a, an Irish fruit merchant named Patrick Brady um and Patrick, he seems, seems like a nice guy. He got Ian a job as a fruit porter. The other interesting thing about that is that to me seems like Glasgow have essentially, the, the courts there have essentially Kicked <laughs> outlawed him, out. him. Yeah, what's the word? Exiled him. Yeah. Well, I think, and it's a fair thing to be say, you know, if a child will do better growing up, obviously, with the parents. I mean, I don't, I don't think biological or whatever, like, you know, the Sloans sound like good, good people. So, but they've gone, you know, she, they've gone... They seem to have think she Peggy would be able to sit him on the straight and narrow. Maybe mm. she had some kind of influence in terms of saying, "I'll look after him. I'll make sure yeah. he, he he does." Um, and growing you know, growing up in the household, maybe they even mentioned as part of it, you know, he would get a job work for my partner Patrick Brady. Uh, but yeah, he he started working for um, in the market as a fruit porter, and yeah, he he wasn't like all his things. He wasn't there for overly a long time. The other thing to note here is he took the name of Patrick Brady, so he was now known as Ian Brady. So by this stage, Ian has had three different names: he was Ian Duncan Stewart, Ian Sloan, now Ian. Ian Brady so I I kind of think a sense of identity he d- yeah. maybe he doesn't really know you know because he's only 17 three different names um, and three different or two different um, father figures He it seems to be he doesn't know maybe he doesn't know exactly who he is I mean he's he, as well he's moved from Scotland Glasgow to Manchester very different places and I think yeah he's trying to figure out who he who exactly he is but as I said the, uh, trouble follows Brady where he goes. He's caught stealing from the market and he was sent to, to strange ways for three months. He was caught with a sack full of lead seals. Yep. Uh, interesting. Um, so strange ways as well. I, I just thought that was an interesting name for a prison and a very notable prison at that. But strange ways. Yeah, stra- strange ways, yeah. It's, it's quite a... I'm sure there's a story behind that name. Yeah. Let us know in the comments sections because I've only just learned that... Um, that helps the algorithm. Tom's told me about how YouTube works. So, any stories on strange ways? I know that there were the riots. I know that uh, Harold Shipman went there. Joey Barton for a period of time. Very different people. So, as he was still under eighteen, Brady was sentenced to two years in a Borstal for training. He went to Latchmere House in London and then Hatfield Borstal. He was caught drunk um, from some homebrew that he made, and he was moved to a tougher unit in Hull. Brady, uh, you know, we say from the mugshots is, is a very striking figure in terms of he, obviously I, I think there's a lot of hindsight in there and obviously in the situation that he was being photoed, but he had a couple of nicknames um, around this kind of time. He was given the nickname by neighbours of Dracula because of extreme passion for horror movies and uh, his brutal torturing of animals. So it must have been fairly public the fact that he was torturing animals, but also um, the way he kind of slouched around and walked about. Um, he was, and he used to wear long trench coats. He was also dubbed the Undertaker, oh. uh, not obviously WWE referenced. So Brady returns to Manchester after being released from the Borstal, and he, he gets a job doing labouring, which he disliked. He's quite a slight fella, so yeah. carrying around the slabs probably wasn't for him. And then he worked at a brewery, and he ended up getting fired from there as well. But um, maybe a bit of his homebrew techniques didn't, mm. didn't come in, into use there. But then, growing sick of bouncing from job to job, he decided to better himself. That's a, that's a term he used. Um, and he went to the library and he got some instruction manuals on bookkeeping. 
And his parents were astonished by the fact that he would spend hours studying alone in his room, just studying all these things so he can get a better job, which, you know, make more money and kind of set himself up a bit. I think maybe the boss had given a little bit of a shake he needed in order yeah. to kind of, in theory, get his life on track. Knocked him back onto the straight and narrow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very outstanding to see him up there studying. He would also go on to uh, take out some other books, including Mein Kampf, um, Teach Yourself German, as well as other books that were um, kind of centered around Nazi atrocities. Yeah, so that's a, a slight glimpse there into, into his psyche, I think. You know, it's someone that's been, you know, he's been attracted to torture animals, allegedly, and also read all about these atrocities. It's, it's very much... They're, yeah, red flags, definitely. So Ian then buys a Tiger Cub motorcycle and spends a lot of his spare time travelling the north of England, particularly uh, uh, paying fondness to the Pennines. So Brady would go on to gain a clerical job at Millwoods, um, which so he's done all this hard work there. He's kind of got himself to a standard where he can actually be employed. And I think, you know, as we said, he thinks he's on the straight and narrow there. So Millwoods is a wholesale uh, chemical distribution company that was based in Gorton, which is actually where uh, Myra Hindley uh, was raised. And interestingly, this is where their paths are about to cross. Yes, so in January 1961, Hinley got a job as a typist at Millwoods. She was 18 at the time, and she was immediately drawn to Brady. Ian, the complete opposite, I imagine, to Ronnie Sinclair. She actually uh, referred to Ian as the only man she had ever met who had clean fingernails. So Ronnie, bless him. That's a lesson to all the people out there to always have clean fingernails, because people do actually take notice of them. You bite yours to an absolute brim, don't you? Just keep them nice and short. Do you bite them? You cut them? Yeah. That was painful. No. Nice hands. Yeah, not so your hands, it's just your haunting nails. Um, See yours? Yeah, they're all right. A little bit white at the top. Yeah. Looks like um, Show your hands French. To, show your hands to the camera. Let us know in the comments below. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. So yeah, Ian was very, he was very, um, he, like we said before, he keeps himself to himself. Yeah. Um, Henley's quite actually quite sociable and she speak to people and uh, yeah, they, they didn't, even though she noticed him from afar, it wasn't an immediate 
they weren't straight away chatting and you know hanging out it, it actually Ian didn't pay her much notice for a whole year she's very uh, very infatuated by Ian obviously he's not paying her any attention she viewed Ian as different brilliant intelligent and mysterious um, because whilst at work he would read uh, intelligent and um, different international books um, but also listen to music that included jazz and classical which was very different again to the other males that uh, that Myra knew at the time yes yeah, she wrote as well that Ian wore a black shirt and looked smashing and then she wrote he he's an un, he's a crude uncouth pig yeah. so it, I think because of because he was quite standoffish you know it could perhaps be I'm imagining she's gone for a cup of tea and he's just kind of ignored her and walked up. He, he kept himself as you said he didn't get pay her any attention so I think her diary kind of goes from oh I really like him too. he's a bit of an idiot to she began a diary and although she had dates with other men some of the Entries that she would uh, she would make uh, detailed her fascination and obsession with Brady, um, and they wouldn't speak for a very large period of time. Yeah, so the first time they got there, the first time that she spoke was at the office Christmas party, and Brady relaxed after Brady relaxed by having a few drinks and asked Hinley out for a first date. This was kind of seen as the kind of beginning of her initiation into his secret world. That night on the date, they he took her to see the Nuremberg trials. As the weeks went by, he'd play her records of Hitler's marching songs. You know, he'd show her the kind of um, literature he was reading um, and things he was very interested to. He's very he's open up about those kind of things, which I think probably ninety five percent of people, well, even more than that, ninety nine percent would be like, "Whoa, that it's not my bag." See you later. I mean, fair enough, you can like classical music and all that stuff, but when it starts to be like playing Hitler's marching songs, I think you'd kind of be like, "Hmm." So just days after their first date, Myra would record another entry in her diary, um, saying that I hope he loves me and will marry me someday. Um, at this point, she's completely uh, obsessed with him. She views him as very cool, and and like you said, although he's into some quite um, I don't want to say risque because it's worse than risque. Even though he's got some very clear, clearly dark um, interests, curiosities, and interests, um, I think she's still viewing him as that cool older guy or slightly older guy. Um, and again, that's kind of clouded in her infatuation for him. Definitely, yeah. And the dates would often, you know, include the same routine, which would go to the cinema, watch an X-rated film, then back to Hinley's house to drink German wine. So during this time, people would see a big change in Hinley's appearance, as well as the character under the influence of Brady. Um, as we said before, Hinley was known as being very chatty and very, you know, she's popular within her workplaces, but now she was starting to become very withdrawn and kind of keeps herself to herself and talks to Ian. Like their lunch breaks would just be those two hanging out reading um, Nazi literature to one another and also discussing those kind of things, but not really speaking to the other people at, uh, where they worked. Um, Henley stopped going to church. She was a Catholic and she began hating children, which apparently was down to Brady's influence. Which, yeah, which is really weird. When people are young and they fall head over heels for someone, quite often they can then completely, as you say, she completely withdrew herself from work, social life, friends. And, and that, that mm. does happen. But But then he's also incorporating or kind of forcing his own ideologies onto her as well and i just think he's completely got up in the palm of his hand at this point well i think it's like um you know she was very much infatuated by him and she wanted to please him so kind of um so yeah, during this time she would actually she'd dye her hair blonde which is you know the famous images of her she'd make herself look as airy as possible she'd start wearing short skirts and leather jackets and she'd also wear crimson lipstick and this is kind of was done in order to you know, yeah, appease him. You know, she knew what he liked from all the conversations they had together. Um, and as I said, they, they, would, they would read together on the lunch breaks about Nazi atrocities to one another, which is, you know, you think of, oh, the couple reading, they're, they're literally, they love to one another. It's quite a cute image, but then they're reading about such horrible things. Um, 
And yeah, and Henley's character is just completely changing at this stage. One interesting uh, aspect to come out of this is that during kind of the early stages of their relationship, Myra did write to one of her friends um, expressing concern at some aspects of Brady's character. So basically she wrote a letter. She mentioned uh, a particular incident where she had been drugged by Ian um, and also then subsequently raped. However, she would uh, also write in the same paragraph her obsession of the of the guy and she would actually later reach out to the friend and, and encourage her to destroy the letter yeah so there's yeah there's there's signs there that henley um is starting to see some things in ian which and obviously all things we've mentioned already should be kind of red flags for her but um she's obviously yeah she's complicit with a lot of the uh, his other thinking and feelings about things and um, the couple actually began you know they would regularly go watch x-rated films to one another and they decided to try and break into the amateur business themselves by selling photos so this would be photographs of them uh, performing odd sexual antics with one another. But this was very short-lived and, um, yeah, they didn't manage to break that market. So, yeah, they take, I mean, we go, we'll go on to this later on that they, you know, they, there's lots of photographs of them together. Mm-hmm. There's certain photographs that will come back to bite them, which we'll get, we'll get to later. In a later 30,000 word plea for parole, um, Hindley would recount, um, the first few months of their relationship. And an interesting quote from her is within months, Brady had convinced me that there was no God at all. He could have told me that the earth was flat, the moon was made of green cheese, and the sun rose in the west. I would have believed him. Such was his power of persuasion. Um, so she's completely spellbound by the guy at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a back and forth between them in prison, and there's very much point scoring that goes on whilst they're in there. So we're definitely going to get onto that, and how it kind of, their relationship really didn't end whilst they were behind bars. Yeah, absolutely. So Brady then kind of reveals plans to, first of all, they want to rob a bank together. Then he starts to reveal darker secrets, which are to commit the perfect murder. Yeah. Uh, which we're going to get to now as we go into our timeline. I think they've romanticizing the idea of Bonnie and Clyde, kind of um, that kind of, you know, couple on the run, those two against the world. And I think, yeah, he's very much got a spellbound. But um, now it's yeah time to, to get into the timeline. So at the start of our timeline, Ian is 25 and Myra is 21. So initially, as we said, Ian had uh, kind of tested Myra to see how she would react when he talked about potentially robbing banks. They uh, Subsequently, Myra rented a van. He would then test her further by talking about committing the perfect murder. And essentially their plan is that Myra will drive the streets of Gorton in her van, her rented van, during the night with Ian following behind on his motorbike. Ian would then flash the lights of uh, of, his, of his bike to the van when they found a suitable victim and Myra would subsequently stop and try and offer or, or coax that individual into their van. Um, so on the 12th of July, 1963, Myra Hindley drives past eight-year-old Marie Ruck, who was actually a neighbour of Myra's at the time, and she continues to drive past him. And later on, Ian would be absolutely furious about this. Um, the pair would get into a bit of an argument and Myra would claim, I didn't take this one because she's my neighbour and she knows me. They then drive further and encounter a 16-year-old girl, Pauline Reed, who had attended school with Myra's younger sister, Maureen, and also been in a short relationship with David Smith, a local boy with three criminal convictions for minor crimes. So Myra gets Pauline into the van with the promise of driving her to a disco she was walking to. Um, despite also uh, knowing her, and again, the risk of being recognised here for Myra is still huge. She's a friend of her little sister's. Um, so uh, Pauline gets in the van, and uh, Myra then changes her story completely to uh, request her to head to Saddleworth Moors uh, to help her find a very expensive glove. 
Um, so Hindley takes uh, Pauline to Saddleworth Moor in the van with Brady following. Um, they arrive at the moor and shortly afterwards Ian arrives on his motorbike. So yeah, there's quite a bit of context there. The, the, um, Pauline was going to meet a couple of friends at the, who were waiting for her around the corner and they went. They, their friends went a different way to the way they normally go and they're waiting at our bus stop waiting for her to appear and she never did appear. Myra assures Pauline that Ian is her boyfriend and he is there to help find the glove. Ian takes Pauline into the darkness for 30 minutes wherein she was sexually assaulted and then killed. Myra does nothing but wait. Ian comes back to get a shovel. Myra finds Pauline's lifeless body with her throat cut. They buried the body and put Ian's bike into the back of the van and drove home. Yeah, so it's important to note here there are different stories about this particular first murder. So some allege that Myra had a lot more involvement than that to the point where she actually um, physically abused and raped uh, um, Pauline. One saying that Myra was actually heavily involved during both the physical attacks and the rape itself, including forcibly undressing Pauline, during which it is also alleged that she ripped a necklace from Pauline and said, you won't be needing this where you're going, which prompted Ian um, to slap Myra, saying that um, at this stage they hadn't decided they were going to kill her or not. Um, and again, um, that's kind of a conflicting report. So on the way uh, home, um, after they'd buried her, they do drive past Pauline's mother and brother who were both out looking for the 16-year-old and they claim to have not seen her. Um, previously mentioned David Smith, uh, who was an ex-partner of Pauline, uh, was questioned several times regarding Pauline's disappearance but could never be convicted. So with that, as you said, conflicting information-wise, obviously the only two people that know exactly what happened is Ian and is Myra. And when they're both in prison and they're given their accounts, trying to, you know, that passed the buck a lot so I think like yeah there's a lot of conflicting information because we are just hearing it from them rather than the evidence itself obviously the evidence in terms of a slit throat and sexual abuse is, is evident but in regards to who did what exactly the way the bodies were left and how long they were left there for is only going back on what they've actually given as their account so it's very hard to say exactly exactly what happened because it completely depends on who you believe yeah and Saddle, Saddleworth Moore itself is kind of in the hindsight of this case is a, is a spooky place during the daytime but imagine arriving there at night and going into the darkness to look for this expensive glove yeah the whole situation for pauline must have just been absolutely terrifying yeah definitely so the 23rd of november the day after the assassination of jfk ian wanted to use this this news this big breaking news basically to fly under the radar 12 year old john kilbride was working in the market to earn some extra money and myra approached the boy and asked for help to move some boxes in her car um, John was a very helpful boy. He would help, would help anyone. He, um, his, his mother even said when he hadn't returned, she thought, "Oh, he's probably helping someone with a job." Like yeah. apparently, it was very, very natural and and you know within his nature. Um, this time again is at a time where stranger danger doesn't exist. And in fact, John's mother would later state that she had taught him to be very wary of men he didn't know, but never women. So the the, the weird part about this, the uncomfortable part of this as well, is also it's a 21-year-old uh, woman trying to get uh, the help of a of a 12-year-old boy. So I couldn't help but think as well if Myra's trying to kind of manipulate him here or even potentially, <laughs> potentially try and seduce him um, to get him in the car as well. Because it's not until he's actually there that they, he, he actually gets in the in the car and then realizes Ian's behind. Mm. So I, I'd hate to think of it like that, but it's it's definitely not beyond the uh, the limits that Myra was, was willing to go through. Myra gets John into the car where Brady was waiting uh, in the back seat. 
um, and he's then brought to the moors. And again, this is at daytime as well, whereas Pauline the first time was during the night, um, where he is sexually assaulted and strangled to death. They then take photos of the boy's body, burn his clothes and bury him in the moors. Um, They also then take a photo, as Tom said, there will be some that come back to haunt them. They take a photo of Myra posing with her puppy, who was called Puppet, on the top of John's freshly dug grave. A huge search is subsequently undertaken with over 700 statements taken and 500 missing posters printed. Eight days after he failed to return home, 2,000 volunteers scoured waste ground and derelict buildings. Um, Hindley and Brady would actually regularly return to the site of uh, Kilbride's grave to check that it had not been disturbed during this time. So they're making a conscious effort, although they couldn't be identified, to still make sure that the body hadn't been found, which is just... Yeah, sure. I mean, I think as well, it's just one of those things for, you know, returning to the scene of the crime, um, looking at their handiwork and, uh, you know, very much enjoying the, the, the dark secret they had with one another. So June 16th, 1964, a third victim, Keith Bennett, also 12 years old, was walking to his grandmother's house but would fail to turn up. He also was lured into a car by Hindley and followed by Brady on his motorcycle. Again, Hindley had taken him in her car to Saddleworth where Brady attacked, raped and strangled him. Keith's stepfather, Jimmy Johnson, became a suspect and in the two years following Bennett's disappearance, Johnson was taken for questioning on four occasions. Detectives searched under the floorboards of Johnson's house and on discovering that the houses in the the row were connected, extended the search to the entire street. Yeah, there was a, again, so there's starting to be a pattern, similar age group, although it's, you know, it's boys and girls at this point. Um, and it's in a, you know, a similar area where they're going missing, you know, the northwest. Um, large searches are undertaken, but they could never get any, any evidence on Jimmy Johnson. So again, it's kind of unsolved at this point. Uh, and the pair are getting slightly more confident. Well, I think as well, because now you've got one girl and two boys missing. The age is linked to the boy, but there's not a clear link between all three cases other than them being young and going and disappearing. So there's the police aren't able to establish, you know, and as well, obviously, there's no CCTV and all that stuff. So they're not able to link these three to the, the same crimes. Yeah. So the 15th of August, Hindley's younger sister, Maureen, marries the previously mentioned David Smith. Um, The marriage was kind of very hastily agreed when Maureen fell pregnant um, and it was uh, conducted at a register's office. Uh, None of Maureen's relatives attended and Myra did not approve of the marriage. Um, uh, Myra and Maureen's mother was actually also too embarrassed uh, um, at the fact that her her daughter was pregnant so uh, she would refuse to attend. So essentially Brady and uh, Hindley take the the couple into their, uh, kind of under their wing a little bit. They spend lots of time going on weekend trips together and they go to Windermere um, and they basically uh, kind of, they're a little bit of a younger couple. They kind of try and then force their own ideals on them yeah so david um smith was uh, ian saw him as someone he could he could maybe actively involve into this into what he was doing and join the kind of trio um david smith said before on one of, on one of, the, on one of the documentaries i watched david smith said he first saw the kind of dark side of brady when they were driving somewhere and someone cut them off on the road and brady was very angry by this even though you know, he, he said the guys were just having fun people that cut them up so they brady Drove, made them drive in front of the car and he threw wine bottles at the trying to hit the windscreen of the car behind them so very dangerous and he apparently hit a very very short fuse uh, so September 1964 Brady and Hindley move into Hindley's grandmother's home in Hattersley council estate um, they uh, become friendly with a neighbour who is 11 year old Patricia Hodges um, and actually this is where it gets 
It's very, very bizarre. But they start inviting this young girl around the house um, often uh, to drink wine. Um, mm. So that, yeah, they're getting, they're plying an 11 year old with alcohol. But they, they take this girl to Saddleworth more multiple times. They take her into their house multiple times. They ply her with alcohol. They would even take Patricia to the, uh, uh, the sites of which they, they claim their first victims on the moors and, in fact, walk over some of the graves with her. Um, however, she never fell victim. She remained unharmed uh, from the pair. Um, and this could be put down to the fact that she only lived a few doors a- away from them. But it's just very, very strange behaviour. First of all, why are you why are you plying an eleven year old with with alcohol? I'm not. But um, why were they doing it? It's the question. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess maybe as well with that is if she's regularly been with them and been visiting the house and going there, they would be looked at as potential. I mean, as you mentioned with Keith Bennett um, going missing and Jimmy Johnson, they actually go through all of the the um, the adjoining houses don't they looking mm. for the body so I guess they it might be an idea if they're thinking we can't do this because we would be initially be suspects but it's very, it is a very odd behaviour and it does seem like a very um, you know a close call oh absolutely and she was so lucky obviously in hindsight um, but chilling the fact that they walked past the graves of previous victims as well yeah definitely um, so on the 26th of December 10 um, year old Leslie Ann Downey was the pair's fourth and youngest victim so yeah, with this particular uh, victim, this this doesn't go along the same pattern and they go to the moors with her. They actually take her to their house. You know, we talked about the fact that they, the pair love to take photos and they would frequently go back to the, uh, the, the graves of their victims. But in this instance, they decided they wanted to capture the audio of this particular event and the transcript of it is available online. It's absolutely harrowing um, what they put this uh, young girl through. But in any case, they uh, they kidnap her and uh, and take her back to theirs. Yes, yeah, so they kidnapped her from a fun fair in Ancoats on Boxing Day. Um, but as been mentioned, she wasn't brought. She was not brought to the secluded moors. And they approached her and deliberately dropped some shopping they were carrying, then asked her to help taking the packages to the car. That's the that's the one of the horrible things of this is all the children. They've kind of asked them to. They've used their niceness good and how the yeah, good nature of the children to essentially trap them, which is which is so horrible. It's very planned out as well. The, the, yeah. the thought that they've used both of them as a pair as well. The fact that he's following in a separate vehicle in most cases as well. Just, Definitely, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's all yeah, it's all very carefully thought out. At the house, Downey was undressed, gagged, and forced to pose for photographs before being raped and killed strangled with a piece of string. Um, Henley later maintained that she went to the filler bar for Downey and found her dead when she returned. Uh, Despite a huge search, she was not found. So the 6th of October 1965, uh, Hindley drove Brady to Manchester Central Railway Station where she waited outside uh, in a car while he selected a victim. So again, he's still in control of who they pick and Mm. and, and where they pick, but again, it's a slightly different dynamic. Uh, And after a few minutes, Brady returns with 17-year-old Edward Evans, uh, who essentially Brady had convinced... uh, to come to their house for, for a party introduces Hindley to to him as his sister and uh, they then head back to their house on Wardlebrook Avenue so the household where um, Edward was brought back to uh, this is where Myra and Ian were living but it was also Myra Hindley's grandma's house and she was actually at the house at the time which is, is makes this all the more all the more haunting um, Brady had also made the rather bold decision this is where he wanted to try and add and properly um, get David Smith as part of this kind of murder club if you want to if you want to dub it that um, so basically 
Ian thought um, he had already got David kind of in the mindset of him, himself. And it had been found in David's diary that he had written things like, rape isn't a crime, it's a state of mind. Murder is a hobby and a supreme pleasure. Though it's been reported later on that people think he was just a very impressionable person who was trying to impress Brady. Uh, but Brady thought it was, this was the time when he could really kind of get him as part of this group. Um, so Brady actually offered a practical demonstration to to David and he did this by striking Edward 14 times with a hatchet before finishing the job by strangling him um, so yeah David Smith I think you know he kind of thought that what Brady says a lot of bravado and it wasn't actually true yeah. but then yeah it's a very bloody attack um, and David's actually helped with moving the body um, because he didn't know it was well, in he, shock wasn't he it was in shock and he, did, he didn't want to it's quite clever on his part because if he did look if he did act um, you know um she, if he if he if he did act shocked or if he did act as if you know he was a bit jumpy, they could easily thought that he was he was a he witnessed the crime and he would, he would yeah. go report it. So he thought, oh you know, what I have to do is I have to play along. And he actually recalls how Myra was so blasé about the whole thing, just picking up skull fragments from the floor and putting them in a bag. Um, so David helped move the body upstairs. Um, and as I said, um, um, Henley's gra- grandma was just in the bedroom upstairs and she hadn't heard a thing, which is crazy yeah it is crazy um so um and during the attack apparently brady even uh joked about the look on david smith's face um when when he did it um so yeah it's, it's, it's a very very bizarre scene um but david would go would go you know eventually in the early hours get home to maureen his wife you know henley's sister and he explained what happened and you know they said we need to we need to tell the police so they made immediately the next morning made a call to the police he explained how he kind of helped them with the body in order just to kind of you know protect himself but um yeah they, they moved it using a baby's pram which was just hideous yeah so it's uh, david smith was um the one to actually report them to the police David get, goes home to his wife. He arrives at 3 a.m. in the morning and asks Maureen to make him a cup of tea. So she's awake at this time, um, which he tries to drink before vomiting and, and eventually opening up about everything that had happened that night. Um, so, uh, yeah, as Tom said, they then make the plan uh, to, to go to the police and, uh, and report uh, their, their brother-in-law and sister uh, to the police. At 6.10am, having waited for daylight and armed himself with a screwdriver and bread knife in case Brady was trying to intercept him, which is just, that speaks volumes for the fear he had for for Brady. Um, Smith calls police from a phone box on the estate and he was uh, picked up by a police car from the phone box and taken to Hyde Police Station, where he basically then told uh, officers what he had seen that night. Um... And based on the police, uh, you know, obtaining this information, they make a plan, um, a very interesting plan to then approach uh, Brady and Hindley. So the police come up with an, uh, quite an elaborate idea in order not to spook um, Hindley or, or Brady and kind of enter the home in a calm way where, you know, they could keep them under control. And this idea was for them to wear bread deliverymen's overalls over the top of the uniform when they went to the door. Um, it's actually audio of, um, of, of Hindley recounting what happened. And the next morning, uh, there was a knock on the back door, and I opened the door. And to cut a long story short, it was a policeman dressed in a baker's uniform and his jacket and hat. It had uh, some blessed on the pocket. And the first thing I said was, you've got a long house, we have mothers of pride. 
so the plan worked they were able to enter the household um, and they you know went search around the property after David Smith had explained where the body was they went upstairs and the door was locked after a little bit of conversation Brady said to Hindley give them the key and when they went in there they were went in there and discovered um, the body yeah so initially uh, Myra had tried to convince uh, the the undercover police that, that uh, there was no one else in the house and she quickly backs down to that when they identify themselves as they uh, as they make the arrest Brady is uh, said to have said Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand so he's just trying to paint it as kind of a, a bit of a scrap that turned <laughs> it, violent yeah it turned 14 hits of an axe so yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's little bit more than a row but um so yeah this is the stage where brady has been taken away they would also four days later go searching around the property and as well as the car and they found actually in one of hinley's notebooks there was a murder plan written in there so they also were then to take hinley into custody as well so whilst conducting the search of the house they also find uh two suitcases full of photographs the pair had taken as well as um audio um, recordings the pair had made, which then uh, armed the police with plenty of questions to go to uh, Brady and Hindley with, of course, separately. Um, they find an exercise book with the name John Kilbride on it, which make them suspect Brady and Hindley uh, had been involved in that particular disappearance, but as well as others, uh, leading them to question them further. Officers making inquiries at neighbouring houses uh, speak to uh, Patricia Hodges, who was the 11-year-old we mentioned, that they'd been plying with wine, who had said on several occasions had gone to the Saddleworth Moors with, um, leading the police to feel that there was a particular reason that the pair were going there so often. And this expands then um, the network of the investigation and leads police to then uh, conduct uh, further investigations and interviews with the pair regarding the moors. Basically, they, they investigate the house. They find tons of um, indecent photos of various victims and various young people that had gone missing uh, in recent years. Um, and that leads them to obviously question Brady and Hindley further. And that then leads the search, a full and thorough search of the Saddleworth Moor. Yeah, because obviously the pictures were taken there, and it's clear what, you know, they're posing with the bodies there as well. So, uh, the police now have them in custody. They know where the, well, they know where the bodies, they believe the bodies to be. Um, but if you see, you know, obviously pictures of the actual moors themselves, and they're so vast, and there's so much different area, and it's just kind of, it's such a different landscape, you know, hilly as well as like different terrain and texture. It's, it's, it's when you, the thought of having to search it. Yeah. Um, it is such a vast job. Um, Obviously, that's why they picked it in order to actually bury the bodies because, um, you know, they thought no one would be able to find them. Um, but yeah, the situation is they, they're in custody now. Uh, Brady was actually, they were actually lucky to escape the, the hangman's noose as the death penalty was just abolished just months earlier. A lot of people believe, you know, they should bring it back for them just after after all they had done. This is where the unity of, of Hindley and Brady has definitely, it definitely takes a big shift at this stage. You know, the, the, the infamous uh, mugshots of the two have been taken and that is the mugshots of them after they've been arrested. And people will say, you know, that is who they are. It's like the evil in their eyes and how they look. That is exactly the kind of person they were. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Um, but they would both give very different accounts on how things happened. Um, Brady was very reluctant to give information for a very long time and that, that keeps on continuing to play throughout the whole of the time he's in prison. And Myra comes forward with, with a lot of information um, first anyway, but we're going to, we'll get into exactly how, how this all plays out. Yeah. And another interesting piece is that of, of many of the photos, the pair took on the moors together, they did have the dog puppet or the puppy puppet um, with them at the time. Um, and what detectives uh, used to determine the timeline of when those photos were taken was they basically um, utilized support from a veterinary surgeon to examine the dog uh, and the age of the dog based on its appearance in those photos. Um, however, the examination required a general anesthetic from which Puppet did not recover. Um, Hindley, as a result, was furious and uh, accused police of essentially murdering the dog in retaliation. Um, so this really broke her and um, she became highly emotional after this moment. Um, so, yeah, she then started to spill a lot more information yeah, Hindley actually wrote a letter when she was in prison saying it's just one rotten thing after another. Still not to worry, we're not dead yet. And apparently the only time she ever shed a tear behind bars was when she heard about the, her puppet, her dog puppet passing away. So it just kind of shows how much of a connection she had to the dog. Sadly, she didn't have that, that much of a connection and that much empathy when it came to um, the lives of these innocent victims. So on the 21st of October 1965, the remains of 12-year-old John Kilbride are found in a shallow grave on the moors near Ashton under Lyne. Um, so the, the, uh, reaction at the time, obviously having, uh, having found the first victim and, and knowing that the pair knew where the remainder were, were, were buried, um, but were refusing to come forward with that information. There was a lot of anger. And I mean, the scenes of them being transported into the, um, into the, into the docks and into the, uh, from various prisons. Yeah. Very remiss, very reminiscent of the kind of Yorkshire Ripper anger on the streets. Definitely. Yeah. Before it's time. Definitely. And also like just the actual pictures and images of, of the police searching the moors. Yeah. It just shows you how much of an uphill battle they had. It was, it was such, you know, as I said, it's such vast lands and you see how many people are out there looking and a lot of times it's a thankless task in terms of them not finding anything. But when they did, you know, it's such, such closure for the families and that's the thing all the families wanted. They knew sadly that they had lost their child, but they wanted just the body there, you know, to bury it and to properly grieve. Um, it's just very sad. Yeah. And this, it's all to do with, with Ian. It's all to do with power and control. And he knows where the bodies are. And Hindley knows where the bodies are. It, it, they can control um, the situation. They've got no control in terms of what they can do with themselves. Obviously they've been locked away, but, they, you know, this is their last final bit. You know, they can they can have this power. 
Uh, so on the 21st of April 1966, the trials of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley began. Still a teenager, David Smith uh, was uh, provided as a key witness to the case, giving evidence during the 14-day uh, hearing. Um, so yeah, so obviously he's witnessed the final murder. He's obviously been, he's spent a lot of time with the couple. He's witnessed, uh, you know, various character traits of Brady. Um, and he is critical to, uh, the eventual conviction. Um, and they were both convicted the following month and sentenced to life in prison. Um, Brady was convicted of the murders of Leslie Ann, John and Edward, while Hindley was found guilty of two of the murders, Evans and Downey. Um, she would also go on to receive another sentence for being an accessory to the killing of, of John Kilbride. So um, at the trial, um, they actually played the tape of, of Downey to uh, Leslie Ann Downey to the the jury, which was it was an all male jury. Um, they played all the sixteen minutes of the tape recording. Um, the tape was played at full volume, um, and you could hear in the background little drummer boy being played. Because it was, you know, it was Boxing Day. It was at Christmas time. It's, it's all very eerie. You'd hear and Downey shouting, "Don't undress me, will you?" And I want to see my mummy, which is, you know, absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, this this would lead, you know, seasoned policemen where they're in the trial and they're they're crying, you know, hearing all this noise, isn't it? and you could actually hear the moment that um, they actually killed her as well, which is very hard to take. Yeah, um, I think in in the build up to that as well she was referring to Ian and Myra as mummy and daddy as well to try uh, just to show a sign of the the age gap there um but the yeah the full transcript is online it's this uh, hideous hideous uh, read yeah apparently as well with the with the tape is you hear a lot of um Hindley in it as well so the, the argument of Brady being the leader the leader yeah. uh, it, it could be argued from the from that from that tape itself that Hindley was very much you know very involved in in all of this as well yeah, she was co- trying to coax her along, trying to provide reassurance, telling her to do this and do that, and it's it's grim and it's disgusting. But yeah, she was very her. She has a lot more dialogue in that transcript than any of the other people that were there, which is yeah. which is quite chilling. Um, so Brady was moved to the high security Ashworth Psychiatric Hospital in Merseyside after being declared criminally insane. Um, searches of the moors would continue during this time for the next 20 years uh, without any without yield, yielding any results uh, and they are during this 20 year period trying to obviously obtain information from Myra and Ian who are both you know fairly reluctant to, to prov- provide any support which obviously fueled further outrage from the nation I mean they were both the most hated people in the country at the time um, and this was not doing them any favors yeah definitely so the pair finally admitted, to, so in 1987, the pair finally admitted to killing Keith and Pauline and were taken back to Saddleworth Moor. So Hindley was to go there first um, and people, there was a bit of outrage about her going out there. They thought that she was just doing this to kind of get out and about. And they actually, I think they did a decoy search to kind of get the media to go to a different place whilst yeah. they actually went out there. There's footage of, of them walking around the moors. Um, and then Brady would later eventually as I said, it's kind of tit for tat, like Hinley agreed to do it a, a while before Brady and people speculated as well, was she doing it to try and help her parole and later on, you know, for good behaviour and, and, and working with the police in order to kind of get free later on or was she or was she doing it to actually try and help? I know when Hinley was in, was in prison, she received a letter from one of the mothers um, saying, yes. you know, trying to reason with her, please, I want to, want to bury my son and it's kind of believed that maybe this was actually what led her to actually um, try and help the police. So after these searches, only Pauline's body was found and Keith's remains have never been discovered, which is, yeah, I mean, 
uh, there's a lot of the documentaries follow Keith's mother, Winnie, yeah. who is very, wow. you know, she, that's all she wanted to do was to find the body. And she's even made her, you know, children promise to keep searching and keep up the fight. And yeah, there's, there's, there's images of, of a picture of Keith uh, attached to one of the fence posts near the moors. And it's just, yeah, it's a very somber and, and heartbreaking image to see. So in September of 1999, uh, Ian Brady goes on hunger strike after complaining about being moved to a more secure room. Um, and he essentially, for the remainder of his life, will be tube-fed uh, tube from that point onwards. He makes his um, first court appearance the following year to try and win the right to die. So for large periods of the time, he's, he's requesting to go from a secure uh, hospital into an actual uh, kind of mainstream prison setting so that he then can can starve himself to death uh, and obviously yeah it's been speculated though with with that that he would often just eat his food and it, it was it felt as if that's one thing as well he could control so he was trying to trying to get gain a bit of weight and favor there um but he would actually would often be seen eating his meals and you know yeah, it's, it's, it's all very odd as well when he was in prison he actually wrote a book titled the gates of janus um serial killing and its an analysis so, so with, this is a 300 page book and originally it was um it was not uh, being allowed to be sold but it actually is on Amazon now um but apparently he doesn't really pick apart what he had done he's talking about the general psyche of other people who he talks about Peter Sutcliffe um and he talks about the human urge towards violence um and the reviews were very mixed I looked at the reviews on Amazon just to kind of see the vibe people were getting from it a lot of people said it was boring um well, so he didn't talk about himself enough. I think people were thinking, you know, you could get that and then get a real window into his line of thinking. I'm sure you could get that from, you know, what he's writing, mm. but that he's not particularly, he's not discussing exactly what he had done. But some, one of the reviewers who was saying, oh, he's let a lot of things slip there. But I'm not going to tell you what, what there is. You have to get the book and read it yourself. So, <laughs> which just feels like that might be the publisher just trying to yeah. encourage people to <laughs> buy the book. But um, yes, yeah, so I thought it was quite interesting. He managed to write a 300 page book and get yeah. it, get it out there. Um, as he said, he was very studious in other, in other ways, and he's just him trying to pick apart exactly what it is to be, to be a killer and why certain people do it. Um, from the research I've done in documentaries as well, there seemed to be a very there's quite a lot of people who would um, side with Hindley and think that she was kind of the victim as well in within this and, and how Brady changed her and made her be be this way. Whereas you know one of the judges who actually said about Brady, he was wicked beyond. Um, we could be on with belief uh, a guy called David Astor who was the editor of the Observer in 1966 was, was actually sympathetic to Hinley um, they began to correspond um, in November 1985 um, and yes so uh, this, this is to quote what, um, some of the stuff that Hinley said she said if the road to hell is paved with good intentions I have a very long well, pa well paved private road Astor thought the reason everyone hated her so much was the public associates you with something that they are frightened of, of in themselves. Violence towards children is much more prevalent than people generally like to admit, which I think is... There's there's being angry and stuff with kids, but there's, and there's killing children and raping children. And I think that it, it, it seems to be mm -hmm. very blind with, with his comments there. Um, but there's a lot of like people petitioning for her parole. Um, but Myra herself said she was, she was actually worse than the partner Ian was because she knew better. She said, I was more culpable because I knew better. Um, 
but as I said, it does yo-yos back and forth between yeah. who is the actual person leading this. Yeah, definitely. And there was also, um, during the 90s, uh, Hindley uh, basically claimed that she only took part in the killings um, because Brady had drugged her and was blackmailing her with pornographic pictures he had taken of her and had threatened also to kill her younger sister, Maureen. So again, there's kind of conjecture there. Some people believe it's a joint effort, Maureen, more Myra. Obviously, she was very, very involved in that transcript script um but uh, yeah i mean she also then in her later years would show a lot of regret and remorse whereas you just didn't get that with ian i mean there was another quote um uh via her solicitor in 2008 uh, it was released um i ought to have been hanged i deserved it my crime was worse than brady's because i enticed the children and they would never have entered the car without my role I have always regarded myself as worse than Brady. Yeah, so obviously with parole hearings as well, you kind of say how you change, and people said, you know, she was reformed in prison, there's pictures of her smiling, hugging a, a big bear in, pr- in prison and things like that. But when she was questioned about the line of work she would look to do on the outside, she replied, I'd like to work with old people. I know I can't work with children, but I love children. I'd like to be of some help to older people. Yeah, I wouldn't be trusting Hindley with my nan. Um, and this is quite striking as well. So um, to... Brady wasn't very, as I say, conversational. Obviously, he's writing his book and things like that, but he was he spoke to an ex-journalist for quite a while, and, he, and then he would reveal to this journalist that there was four more murders, and he described these as happenings. He said he had killed, also killed a man on the waste ground behind the station, a woman in the canal. He, he also said, my statements were an embarrassment to the police who rather than admit irregularities had taken place, will move mountains to cover up. Considering it taken so long to actually admit to these other crimes, him then kind of bragging, is it a case of him just doing that for more weight? Does he want the police to take him out and about again to actually kind of walk around these areas? It could well be. There was a temp for a woman in 2006 to smuggle 50 paracetamol tablets to Brady in the prison. And I don't think it was because he had a headache, but it was actually in order to try and assist him with... Um, committing suicide in prison it's fascinating how they're they're because a lot of times as i said when they are in prison um brady will withhold information and then hinley would give some more information to the police and then brady then brady would also give some more information yeah. they'd say i was i was the one doing this it was actually no it was this way around there's a lot of bickering back and forth between the two but yeah hinley was very open about how you know she would felt controlled by him um, so according to the 2020 uh, television documentary Rose West and Myra Hindley, their untold story with Trevor McDonald, it's alleged that um, Rosemary West and Myra Hindley became close in jail bonding over their similar crimes, but they also had somewhat of a rivalry to become kind of the, the prison royalty at the time. Eventually that cooled down, but that was just an interesting that they kind of exchanged dialogue. So in in, two, in the year 2002, Myra Hindley died in prison after serving 36 years. She died of bronchial pneumonia. Uh, it, it was a long time, 15 years afterwards. Um, on May 15th, 2017, Ian Brady, at the age of 79, died behind bars of obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, it, and yeah, I've read a few um, news reports about this. It's believed that Brady's final wish was to be cremated, his cremated ashes to be scattered on the moors. However, a judge ordered scattering his remains on Saddleworth Moors must be banned. So one of it, one of um, Brady's last dying wishes was he ordered that two locked Samsonite briefcases should be taken from his bedside and handed to his solicitor, Robin Macon. He had already insisted they should never be opened until after his death. So these suitcases, obviously we've mentioned before, there's lots of uh, photographs, notes and stuff like that about the deaths, which were used to kind of get them incarcerated. But um, on February 19th, 2021, the Home Secretary, Pretty Brutal, is to bring in a new police crime sentencing and courts bill, which would force the killer's solicitor to grant police access to briefcases left by the Moore's murderer. 
it's been speculated that perhaps that actually would have the location of where Keith is buried in it. And, you know, the finally the closure for Winnie and the family. Um, but Brady's own lawyer, Robin Makin, revealed he would be very surprised if the killer left any useful information about where Keith's body was. He told Radio 4, he did go to the moors a long time ago, and I suspect that if there had been information for him they could provide it, he would have provided it then. I strongly doubt that, mm. considering how much power and how much he enjoyed all, all, oh, all was, that kind of power. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. He's almost teasing the families to, you know, yeah, despite he, wanting to apparently die himself and starve himself to death, he's still at, at the same time taking joy in making these people suffer further. Definitely, yeah. He's, he was essentially trolling the families, wasn't he? Yeah. he, he they, they knew if he died, he would die with certain information that they needed in order to, you know, they even people would beg him to reveal this information, you know, before it's too late. Uh, one family member of his victim, Leslie Ann Downey, tweeted as, as Ian Brady passed, we as a family have had the best news ever. Brady, the devil's disciple is dead. May you rot in hell. Yeah. Which you can completely understand. But yeah, the the, the hunt for um, Keith's body is still, you know, is st- still on and to a certain extent, you know, it's not, they still, you know, very much want to find his body. And, you know, you hope that the briefcases may contain something. The final puzzle, it, Brady apparently did kind of say there is some kind of clues. He, there, he, he has left something in the ether for people to be able to, to find the body, but I think mm. it's such a sick and twisted. Yeah. We're going to do a little bit of light relief as we like, as we like to try and do a little bit of a levity at the end here. Uh, yeah. Lookalikes, Ben. Um, okay. Mine are terrible, but there you go. Well, for the for the, those uh, joining us via audio, we do lookalikes pretty much every week when we when we can. Um, I will say, Tom's lookalikes last week for the John Bonet case were on point. They were Thank fabulous. You, Thank you're, you. you're welcome. So, if you do want to uh, check out the visual platform, we are on YouTube. You can have a look at how we are this week. Obviously, I've I've prompted them to join when you're saying they're not very good for you this <laughs> week, but. We'll see how we get on. So, John, should we do Myra first or Ian first? Do Myra first. So, Myra, I'm going to go for, um, first of all, a younger Myra. Looks like a very, very young Boris Johnson. And I've got a photo. I'll pop it up. Um, So that's the first one for Myra. Um, She also looks like a young Barbara Windsor slash Julie Goodyear from Coronation Street. And I really struggled for Myra. (laughs) It's probably better than mine, to be fair. Mine, I've just put Mars Attacks. Uh, the, the lady, the blonde lady in Mars Attacks, who gets the big head. And for Ian, mine is uh, sticking on an alien theme. Okay. Weirdly, I really struggled with Ian. So Ian, I think number one, I think he looks like a di- different person in every photo. Um, he doesn't look like the same person ever. Um, I also think he looks a bit like a linesman. But then I went with um, he looks like he's got the facial shape in the mugshot of Kiff from Futurama. Uh, nah. Fair play. Yeah, I can, I can completely yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. Ian was Ian was pretty tricky. Um, I've roped in my parents for Ian. So my mum said Ian looks like the dancer from Happy Mondays, which is Bez, which is not bad. My dad says Ian looks like a young Ken Dodd, which is actually pretty good. Uh, so we'll put them up there. I also think... What did you think, though, Ben? Yeah, to go along with what, what Tom said, he does look different in every photo. So in one photo I've seen, it looks like he could be part of Jedward. He could be the third member of Jedward. Jedward, Ian. Um, That's probably um, the worst he, thing you've said. He also wouldn't. He also. <laughs> Jedward, Ian. He also wouldn't look out of place in an episode of the Peaky Blinders. 
um, but that's giving him too much of a compliment um, and also a little bit of James Nesbitt I'm getting a little bit of James Nesbitt in there only a little bit you can't just say a million people I, well, who, said, all, who all I've look said. very different oh, there you go well you said look very different yeah but it's cheating Ben well, I think it? Ian Brennan sorry a little bit of James Nesbitt that's actually quite good oh you think I, yeah Thank you, Dan. Just a little bit. I mean, when, well, when he did. Say... Get, he did give you ten choices there, Dan. So you're picking one that looks good. Four. Um, right. So a right array of lookalikes there. Some might think cheated, but who knows? Um, so that is the case of the Moore's murders: Ian Brady and Myra Hinley. Yeah, that was a, a big, big case. Uh, it's one that we've had requested for a while. Uh, we were excited to share that with you. Another one that has been requested for a while, and a big, big case to bring the series to a close with. It's just a week away. Yes, we always like to end the series on a big, big case and we are very excited to bring that to you. Thank you again for all your support, for the, all the listens, for the recommendations. Anytime any of you tag us in a story or on Instagram or anything like that, it's very greatly appreciated and we really do thank you for that. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give us a like and subscribe to the channel. Why not hit the notification bell as well? Because then you'll know when we're knocking at the door ringing the bell. Um, and if you just can't get enough, why not head over to our Patreon where we've got 20 plus cases on there to get some more content absolutely and uh you know christmas might be coming up when you're watching this we've got a merchandise why do you store. always say christmas is coming up because it's always holidays are coming holidays are coming holidays are coming it's may and if you want to support us in another way and you want a physical thing in your hands or on top of your head why not go to our merch store and, and have a little peruse and maybe a little purchase Jesus. at could murder a pod for all of your social media and um, for the store it's www.icmap.store well as we always say Ben we say this a lot what do we say keep <laughs> you had no soul do <clears throat> keep doing what you're doing what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> Unless then you're going. I say that a bit. Keep, uh. No. We say this a lot. I say this a lot. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Keep uh, doing what you're doing. Yeah. Unless it's well, listening to Nazi marching. Mm. And. Yeah. Prison brew. See you later. Bye, guys. How am I editing that one? Well, just... wow. well the outro. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. So as we always say, we say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Unless, um, well, unless you go to the malls. We can go there, just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, cheers, guys. You've been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional voiceover by Tom Turner. Additional research by Danielle St. Romain. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert of Boston Sound. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at Could Murder a Pod. For additional exclusive content, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash couldmurderapod and make sure to tell all of your friends. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. A change of seasons means adventures in rain, shine, mist, or snow, or all of the above on the same day. This season, prepare for every season with the Allbirds Mizzle Collection. With all-conditioned traction and materials and features to keep you comfy and dry no matter what, you'll be ready for anything. Go to allbirds.com and use code FRESHSOCKS for a free pair of socks with your purchase. A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code FRESHSOCKS. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.